The Hebrew word for his steadfast love means exactly that. He holds on. He does not let go even when we try to walk away. He faithfully follows. He pursues his family and he will not let us go. Circumstances tell us otherwise. We feel self-accused. We feel ashamed. We feel guilty. And in all of that, he is Lord and he refuses to let go. Welcome to Crosspoint, everybody. Okay, let's um, be dismissed in prayer, shall we? That was, <laughs> I don't know what that was, but it, uh, it certainly wasn't what I was expecting. I can tell you that. Let's try that again. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, something. Do you hear the silence? I've, been, I've officiated livelier, livelier funerals than that. That was, uh, wow. Okay. At the conclusion of of the sermon, we're going to celebrate communion. That's why this little table is here. Jesus told us to make disciples. Those disciples trust Christ in the New Testament pattern. They are baptized. And then to spend the rest of their lives listening to Jesus and in remembrance of him, as he said, we celebrate communion. We take a little piece of unleavened bread and we take a little cup. And that is to remember his body and his blood shed for us. So I am glad that you're here. And if you're spiritually able, if you've trusted Christ and obeyed him in baptism, I'm thrilled that you're here to celebrate communion with us. We are back at the table. If you've been here for a few weeks, you'll remember these chairs. If you haven't, bear with us and I'll try to catch you up to this concept. This table represents following Jesus all the way to maturity. You start on that end of the table, and for everyone who faithfully follows him, they will eventually end up over there. And everyone who trusts Christ can and should end up on that side of the table. Do you remember what the chairs are? Okay, I was deadly afraid that we were going to have that silence again. This chair represents spiritual death. These are people whom God loves but do not know him. They are welcome to the table. They are welcome into his family, but they do not know it. They are making and following a God of their own devising. But Jesus said, you must be born again. When you meet Jesus and you turn away from sin, you trust him as Savior, you were born into God's family. And when people are fresh born, we call them infants or babies. And they need to be taught the truth and they need to be cared for and protected in the spiritual family. And if they are and they continue to grow, infants become children. See the little battered high chair here? And a lot of Christians get stuck in this stage. All too many remain little children and do not become, as John said, and I'll show you that in a moment, young men and young women who are strong, who know the word of God, and who have overcome the evil one. But if they do, if children continue growing in the Lord, they are served and protected and nurtured and trained and given opportunities by their spiritual family, they become young adults. This is the chair we're looking at today. And of course, the head of the table is represented by spiritual parents. Today, I want to talk to you about the spiritual stage that the Bible identifies as those who are young adults. And I want to show you what attitude 
And what decision represents moving from this chair into this one? Every single one of you can if you're following Jesus. If Jesus is your Savior, you're at the table, you're in the family, and he wants all of you to grow to full spiritual maturity. Those of you who are my fellow parents will understand this. None of us are raising our kids to stay in this chair. Right? You want your kids eventually to contribute. You hope at a certain point they're able to get jobs and, let's be honest, move out. Right? You're not hoping to stumble across your 57-year-old son who never, ever left. If he needs to come home, that's okay. But you're sure hoping and you're aiming all your parenting at moving him around the table into this stage. And the greatest hope of parents eventually becomes that their kids will have kids of their own and bring the kids who clutter my Instagram and Facebook with the cutest pictures you've ever seen bring grandchildren into the world. Now the kids are having kids. What makes the difference? What is this spiritual stage like? Well, there's a great question. And we've been talking to little kids about what it's like to grow up and trying to probe their understanding of life and their family. We went over to our preschool and talked to a few kids about being a kid and growing up. Check out what they told us. Do you rather be a kid your whole life or a grown-up your whole life? Uh, a kid my whole life. Why? You have a job. I'm playing in show. You're the line leader? No. The play leader. The play leader. What is the play leader? Playing students. I can wait for snack. Oh, you pray. Oh, he's the pray leader. He's the pray leader. (laughs) (laughs) You remember when being big meant going to kindergarten? You remember when your concept of a job was finding snails? Now, let's be honest. Do you think the family had a meeting and they told that precious little girl, listen, your job's going to be to find snails for the rest of us? The dirty job, but somebody's got to do it because the rest of us need snails. And what we'd love to see is you coming home with fistfuls of snails. Can you imagine? Apparently, on the cutting room floor stayed the footage of the kid who said, He had no idea what a job is, no particular interest in having one. He was just really happy being a kid. That's what this chair is like. The childish chair is very self-centered. Children are interested primarily in themselves. And the job and the hope and the prayer and the effort of a parent is to move them past that. And that's what brings joy in this young adult chair. They bring joy because they are no longer consumers. Now they are capable, knowledgeable contributors to the family. That's what makes the difference. In his first letter, John the Apostle wrote about three of these spiritual stages. And I won't read you the whole paragraph, but he talked to, he talked to little children, he talked to young men, and he talked to fathers. 
And he addressed all three groups, and he said, I'm writing each of you for a different reason. When he talks here about young men, he's referring not to people who are literally young adults, but those who have achieved this spiritual chair over here. Spiritually speaking, regardless of their chronological age, they are young adults. And listen to what characterizes that spiritual stage. If you're in the young adult chair, this will be true of you. If you're in a child chair still, if you're still learning and growing in the family, you'll be primarily interested in yourself and you won't be able to say the things that John says of the young men. I'd like you to read with me 1 John 2.14, the second part right off the outline. You read that with me? He said, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. That's what spiritual adolescence looks like. It's a long way removed from spiritual childhood. Look at three things that John says are true of those who are young adults spiritually. First of all, they are strong. They are no longer defenseless and vulnerable like the kids and the babies. They have grown strong in the Lord, and that is because, John says, the word of God abides in you. No one really, regardless of their time in church, can claim that they are spiritually grown up until the scripture, until the word of God actually is in them. Meaning it's no longer outside of them speaking to their life and correcting and directing it. It's actually become so much a part of their life that it continually guides them. It is internal guidance. It has been internalized. That's why it says the word of God abides in you. And very importantly, the last line, it says you have what? Overcome the evil one. There's spiritual maturity there as well. They know their enemy. They have met him and they have defeated him. They are knowledgeable. They know the scripture. They have a personal relationship with Jesus that is informed That is internally different. They have changed from the inside out. Now they are in spiritual war and they are winning. That spiritually is like, is what the spiritual young adult chair looks like. If that looks like something to aspire to, if that sounds good, but it doesn't sound like your experience, I want to map out for you what it would look like to move here because that's Jesus' next step spiritual children. What's this spiritual stage like? Very simple. What is true in physical life is true in spiritual life as well. The, what brings joy to the, young, to the family because of the young adult is for the first time in their life, they're focused on Jesus and other people. That makes the difference. They are no longer selfish. Selfishness will pursue them They will continually think about themselves, but they will consistently put Jesus and other people ahead of themselves. And that is a supernatural work that comes from following Jesus. It's not natural. It's not normal. It is entirely easier to stay in the child chair. The pastor who first shared this spiritual analogy with me that this table represents, pastors a very large church in Texas. And he said in his sermon that when they discovered this and started getting really intentional about helping people in their church figure out where they were spiritually and take the next step forward, 
He said, we surveyed you and we talked to you and we figured out that 70% of you were spiritual children. Can you imagine what that church was like? Those pastors were tired. There were a lot of demands. There were a lot of, I didn't get my way. There were a lot of me statements because that's what this chair is all about. I keep talking about the blue plate because it's indelible in my memory. I'm an only child, so I just had to do whatever mom and dad wanted, at least at the table when we were sitting there. Now, if I could get away from the table, that was another story. But if it's just the three of us, it was what it was. But when I was a kid, I was at somebody else's house, and I watched a kid throw a five-minute fit because he wanted the blue plate. I want the blue plate. Now it's his turn. I'm like, there's turns? Um, <laughs> And yes, there was. The blue plate was coveted, and apparently there was only one of them, and nobody had made the obvious decision to buy a second one. And for about five minutes, war raged at this table about which of these two kids, these friends of mine, was going to get the blue plate. Spiritually speaking, that's exactly what this chair looks like. What about me? Now, that's tough, and it is in this table, believe me. I've learned through going through this series with you, it is entirely easy to be in the young adult and even the parent chair and climb back into this one and say, what about me? A friend of mine says, one of my very favorite sayings, I'm not much, but I'm all I ever think about. That is childishness and what the spiritual development, what the next stage looks like is a spiritual young adult because of the word of God, because of his time in God's family, because of his attention to Jesus, chooses now, consciously, fights that selfishness off, puts it behind him, and puts Jesus and the needs of others ahead of his own. This is what this looks like in the life of Paul and Timothy. As I considered the New Testament and I looked at Jesus working with his disciples, I continually saw examples of him calling them out of the child cheer. I'll show you one of those at the end of the sermon. But I was really captivated by the way Paul got along with Timothy. Paul was perhaps the best disciple that Jesus ever had. Paul inspires the rest of us because it really looks like from his behavior and obedience that once Paul met Jesus, that was it. He just plunged on ahead and followed him through every kind of suffering without ever looking back. In fact, he said, I am continually stretching myself out. I'm continually stretching ahead to follow Jesus. And Paul, just like Jesus, gathered people around him. He had a small core of young men that went along on these trips with him, that learned from him, that were trained by him, that were sent places in his stead to do the work of ministry. And I want you to listen to Paul talk about Timothy. This epitomizes the young adult cheer. Paul's writing to the Philippian church and he says, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I, may also, so that I also may be encouraged when I hear news about you. Check this out. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You ever have a romantic view of what the apostles and the first century Christians were like? Like they all prayed 22 hours a day and spent the remaining two hours reading the Bible? 
and just all the churches were perfect and all the men and women in the first church were heroic. I want you to hear the reality of what that looks like. Paul's in prison writing a church he loves and he says, I sure hope I can send Timothy to you. As soon as I can, I'm going to send Timothy to you because I want to hear good news about you. And look again at verse 20. I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That's a devastating statement. What's Paul saying? All the other men who are in my sphere of influence, they're all kids. They're all in it for themselves. If I sent them to you, they would not genuinely care about you. And he said genuinely. That means they would show up and they would pretend to care about you. You ever talked to another Christian and discovered or had the perception that they were fake caring? It was all out here. They weren't connected on a heart level. Your interests were really, had nothing to do with their own. That was Paul's experience. I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not not those of Jesus Christ. That's the difference. The difference between childhood and young adulthood is consistently, continually, as a matter of choice, putting the interests of Jesus and the interests of other people ahead of your own. Now, where did Timothy learn that? The next verse tells me. Look. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry. What's it say? Like a son with a father. We've been close. And church, I've been preaching to you and encouraging you and pleading with you and explaining to you about small groups. This is Jesus' method and it was Paul's too. How did Paul develop the character of this singular young leader? He said, I was like a dad to him. And you've seen his character because you've seen him in action. He has been with me in the good news ministry, in the gospel ministry, like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Just as soon as I have the ability from this prison cell to get him started your way, He's going to be there because I don't have anybody else who will put the interests of Jesus and the interests of other people ahead of their own. What does it look like to move into this chair? What am I asking you to do? What am I asking and challenging and reminding myself to do? To consciously, as part of your spiritual maturity, think of yourself last. Think of what Jesus wants and lovingly serve others because of his heart and his mind. That's what makes the young adult here. For the first time in their life, from death to birth to childhood, they are now consciously focused on Jesus and others. And what does that look like? Well, that makes young adults vulnerable to pride or discouragement based on how others respond to their ministry. Some of you really need to hear this next point. As a young adult, for the first time in your spiritual experience, you've come to realize that what it looks like in spiritual life is Jesus and others ahead of you. Now, that's a very easy thing to say. It's a very, very hard thing to live day after day. That's spiritual maturity. 
And Timothy apparently dealt with that. Look at how Paul wrote to him. Let no one despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Timothy, you have a gift and a calling from Jesus. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Instead, get busy serving others. Give yourself to reading Scripture in front of people. Encourage them, exhort them, call them along, bring them along with you. And I know this was hard for Timothy, and he dealt with rejection because in his last letter, Paul wrote this, Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. How did Timothy make it through ministry? He cried his way through it. He was continually discouraged. That's why Paul also wrote him, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Don't be afraid. Don't let them look down on you. Don't let them push you away. Instead, step forward and be an example. And right now I'm talking especially to the physically young people in our church. Okay? Not the spiritually young, but the, the literal young. Junior high, high school, 20-somethings. Church culture has created a wait-your-turn kind of environment for you. Where you go to church, and you sit, and you wait. And all too many of you leave church altogether when you turn 18. I want you to see that from a very young age, Jesus gives you the ability, if you're really in his family, if you've really been born again, to be an example to others, to put Jesus ahead of yourself and to serve other people in spite of your physical youth. There is nothing more inspiring, there is nothing more beautiful than a young disciple getting it at an early age and saying, Jesus first, then come others, I come last because I love him so much. And every single one of you is called on that journey. Jesus doesn't want anybody to get stuck here. But when you first do that, you first put Jesus and others ahead of yourself, you are vulnerable to get either puffed up because you serve and you love people in Jesus' name, and people receive it well, and people encourage you. You you know, I'm doing really well. Jesus ought to be really, really proud of me. Or they don't receive it well. You encourage and you serve and you love and they don't care. And they don't notice. And they don't say thank you and your pride is wounded and you get discouraged. Let me tell you a secret about the young adults here and the parents here. If you serve other people, they will discourage you. There are far too many wounded Christians in this church and every other church I've ever known because this is the spiritual battle. This is what the flesh and the devil want. They want you, the moment you get it and you put Jesus and others ahead of yourself and somebody doesn't receive it well, and somebody questions your motives or tells you you didn't do well enough, Or you could have done things better and they become critical and they become ungrateful. What the flesh and the devil want to whisper to you is that it's not worth it. Well, if that's the way they're going to be, if that's the way Christians are going to behave, I'm going to take my stuff and go home. And you climb squarely back into this chair and a lot of Christians are sitting right here 
because they moved. And they didn't get celebrated and they didn't get thanked and it didn't go very well. And they thought, well, that was a failure. And they choose to take their gifts, take their money, take their time, take their resources, take their intelligence, everything that Jesus has given them, and go back to making it all about them. I know this because the most jaded people in ministry that I've ever met are pastors. And they look back and they speak with deep cynicism and great weariness of the way people are. You know why people won't be grateful and they won't get it? Because they're children. And many of them are infants. And a lot of the people you'll be talking to are spiritually dead. How could you expect to be thanked by dead people, little babies and little children who are selfish? It's not going to happen. Let's put this in the earthly world. Can you imagine a parent taking a baby home and the baby has his first good meal and digestion works beautifully as we all hope it does? And the baby makes his first big mess. And the parent says, oh, well, I didn't know it was going to be like that. You're on your own. Honey, he messed on me. I am not doing this ever again. No. Spiritually mature young adults and parents expect that. They know that's part of the deal. Does anybody like it? No. The most loving mother in the world does not enjoy getting pooped on. They just don't. Nobody looks forward to that. We take, at least I did, great measures to avoid it. But they're babies. It happens. You don't take your stuff and go home. You don't walk away from the kids. Spiritually, people all too often do. They put Jesus ahead of themselves. They think of others for the first time. It's not well received. Well, if that's the church, if that's what spiritual leadership, if that's what it looks like, I'm out. And you've dug yourself into the child's chair and Until Jesus moves again and touches that hard heart, you'll be stuck there for the rest of your spiritual life. See, that's the third warning I have for you about the young adult stage. Idealism can make the spiritual young adult naive about other Christians and dogmatic about what church should be. There's this beautiful picture of what church looks like. Let me tell you about church. It is filled with dead people and babies and children. And it is the role of those who are young adults and those who are parents to serve everybody else patiently, not because it's well-received, but because that's what Jesus wants. And that's what Jesus did. And if many more of you will move from these chairs into these chairs, there is literally no end and no limit to what this congregation can do in this community and around the world. That's what getting on a plane to Cambodia represents. Much more importantly, when your friend walks away from church and walks away from Jesus, staying after him and pursuing him and being patient with him and not saying, well, too bad, you're out, you're gone. That's what it looks like to be a young adult, to be a spiritual parent as well. The fastest way to return to the child's chair and get stuck there is to get jaded about ministry. What does ministry mean? It means service. And if you have the slightest bit of cynicism or tiredness about church and Christians and, and ministries, take that to Jesus. Jesus is not jaded. 
Would you say that with me, please? That's a very simple statement, but I really want you to remember it. Would you say that with me? Jesus is not. He's not jaded. His heart is tender. Always. What's my job? If I'm going to be a spiritual parent, if I'm going to be at least a young adult, my job is to keep my heart tender when the dead and the babies and the kids don't receive the service I'm trying to give them. So in closing, what does that practically look like? What do spiritual young adults need? Well, they need to be trained to minister. That's the point. When a person becomes a young adult, you start consciously preparing them to serve. That's the difference between a kid and a young adult. A kid has needs that must be served. If you want your child to turn into a young adult, you start teaching them to serve. You start teaching them to minister. That's what Jesus did with the disciples. This next passage is one of the most appalling passages in the New Testament. Let me tell you what's happening. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus has told his disciples, not for the first, not for the second, but for the third time that he's going to be betrayed and killed. Now, they've walked with him for nearly three years. This should have been sobering news. This is your dad having you come over and saying, I've got terminal cancer. I've got a very short time. I need to talk to you. Three times he's told them, I'm going to be delivered over. In other words, I'm going to be betrayed. They're going to mock me. They're going to flog me. And they're going to kill me. And on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. Right after he did that, here in Matthew chapter 20, the passage we're headed toward reading, the brothers of the group went and got their mom. And their mom came to Jesus and made a very strange request. Do you remember what it was? Their mom came and said, hey, um, when your kingdom comes, can you make it out so that my boys have really good spots? You see how appalling that is? Son, I'm dying. Well, I'd really like the China, Dad. I think you didn't hear me. I'm dying. Yeah, uh, can I have the car? This is what's happening with Jesus and his disciples. And then it says in this passage, just before this passage, that the ten are indignant with the first two. And I'm convinced, based on the reading of that passage, they're not mad because the two dishonored Jesus. They're mad because they didn't think about it first. I believe that's true because they continued to behave in this way right until the Lord's Supper. Jesus is giving them what we now call communion, and they're arguing about how it's going to work out, what the org chart is going to look like once he's gone. What is that? Childishness. They don't have his heart. They don't have his mind. So he called them over and said this. Read this passage with me. Jesus called all 12 over. Let's read. But Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and the men of high position exercise power over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
What do you think of that offer? Jesus invites you to discipleship and he turns to the rest of the family and he says, if you really want to follow me, if you want to look like me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be a slave to all these other people. Are you interested? Children are not. Young adults and parents are. They consciously choose because of their great love for Jesus that they will subordinate their will, their interests, their needs, their preferences to everybody else. The point of this is if you claim to be a Christian, but at some point you're not serving others, you're not following Jesus. You're nothing like him because he said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And I came to serve to this extent. I came to give my life a ransom for many. So what do these young adults need? Three things. First of all, young adults, young spiritual adults. And this is our church's commitment to those of you who are trying to enter this stage. We want to equip you to minister. According to Ephesians, the pastor's task is to train the saints to do the work of ministry. Church culture, churchianity says, we hire a spiritual parent. We hire someone who is mature in Christ and he sets and serves the table for everybody else. That's churchianity, not Christianity. That is some people's understanding of the job of a vocational pastor such as I am. You're up there. You've got the training. You've got the stuff. We're giving you support so that you can dedicate your whole life to us. Serve us. Yes, I will. But when that is the demand, what that person is doing is identifying themselves as a child. And child, children need serving. Babies need serving. The dead need to come to new life in Christ. The trouble is when the church adopts a culture that makes it okay and normal for everybody to go no further than this. It's not what the New Testament says pastors are to be doing. Look in Ephesians 4. It says, talking of Jesus, he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. In other words, Jesus personally gave to the church some very specific leaders with specific gifting and calling. Read verse 12 with me. Here's the purpose for pastors. It says, For the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. This is huge and maybe you've never seen it. Who does the work of ministry belong to according to verse 12? To the Saints, meaning those who are in God's family, those who have been set apart by him. What will happen when the body functions that way? Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. If the whole table will get behind this, we'll all look like Jesus eventually. Let me make it really, really plain. If your hope and our hope as a church is that a pastor and a few really dedicated, really knowledgeable, hardcore volunteers serve everybody else, that means that the majority of us will never grow out of this stage right here. And we will miss our purpose. And you will arrive in heaven, and I'm convinced when Jesus shows you at an event the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ, 
And nobody's salvation is being judged there. That is only for believers. But that will be the moment when Jesus shows us the difference between what could have been and what was. And when you see all of your spiritual potential, when you see what Jesus did for you when you were born into his family, when you understand fully the gifts that he gave you when you were his child and you grew into childhood, if you stayed there, I promise you, you will be devastated by the difference of what your earthly life was and what it could have been. And there's no point to my life if I don't call you out of that and we don't all, me included, are determinedly moving toward this chair right here of reaching the lost, helping lost people find Jesus and then grow to full maturity until we look like him. That's what it means to be equipped to minister. A pastor serves you by training you to serve others. Secondly, young adults who have been equipped then are given opportunities to minister. It's not enough to train kids. You've got to give them chances to work it out and to do it. There's a little verse in Colossians that captured my attention this week. Paul's writing to the Colossian church, and right at the end of the letter, he drops this bomb. He's going to refer to another one of his co-workers who's in the same class, same group of guys as Timothy. And he says to the church, tell Archippus, I know it's weird, but that's his name, okay? And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. Now, that's easy to read, but I want to put you to put yourself there. You're Archippus. And you're maybe sitting in this church in Colossae when this letter is being read read for the fifth, twelfth time. And somebody publicly reads to the rest of the church, Paul wrote, and tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. How are you feeling if you're that kid? A little called out, right? This is language destined to young adults. I'll give an example. I hope it doesn't embarrass them. Sometimes I will send my two budding adults, I have two sons, I will send them into the back to clean up the backyard. There's leaves and there's all kinds of nonsense back there. We have a dog who, well, pray for me and my patience with my dog, okay? He is, he is trying to destroy our home and my sanity and he's doing a pretty good job of it. He makes tremendous messes. So I'll send the two young adults into the backyard to pick all the stuff up that needs to be picked up. Okay? And sometimes I'll wait and I'll wait and I'll wait and think that was a 20-minute job. They're still out there. And I'll go out in the back and earbuds have been placed in ears. And grooving has started. And there is weightlifting and there is football throwing and there is all kinds of stuff. There's also a lot of dead leaves and a lot of dog poop. And that's when I have to say to my kids, hey, 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 what? Weren't you? Oh, yeah. And that's a pay attention time in our family. Pay attention. I gave you a job. Now make sure that you accomplish it. That's what young adults need. They need to be equipped and they need to be given opportunities. And finally, they need to be released to do ministry. And listen, this is my pastor's heart. My greatest dream is to release every single one of you to serve Jesus the way Jesus gifted you to do. Not to sit back and watch the others. That would be the child's cheer. But to serve others in the name of Jesus. 
That's what Paul told Timothy in the end of this last letter, the last letter Paul would ever write. Listen to the fatherly talk. Listen to him encourage him to stay as a young adult and move on toward parenthood. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Garner translation, Timothy, this is it for me. You stay strong in the grace that brought you into God's family. And the things you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses as we shared all those years together, you give those same things to faithful men who will be able to teach other men as well. There's four generations in that verse. There's Paul, there's Timothy, there's the men that Timothy will train, and there's the men that they will reach. Four generations, easily a hundred years of Jesus' impact in one life, and it's true for you as well. You, if you're in God's family, you have the spiritual capacity to change your family history. You have the spiritual capacity to be 50, 60 years in heaven, and the good news that you shared with your family and friends to continue to make a difference and watch them arrive in heaven along with you for many years to come because of your influence and because of your faithfulness, because you refused to remain a child and you moved around the table. That's my invitation to you, that you would consciously choose the mind of Jesus and the needs of others ahead of your own. Would you pray with me, please? Could I give you a moment to talk to Jesus about it? You look back over your last three months. What has your Christian life really been about? Have you been upset because things aren't going your way? Have you been disappointed because others haven't served you? Let's make it more positive. You look at the last three months... Who can you point to? Who could you show Jesus that you have served in his name? Look first at your own family. Look now at your friends. Look outside the circle of your friends to your acquaintances, people in church, people on your job. Who have you served in the name of Christ? If things don't readily come to mind, you've probably been trying to climb back into the child chair. My invitation to you is that you would pray with me as we conclude this service and begin our communion. Say, Jesus, help me. Give me the grace to consistently put you and others ahead of myself. Lord, that's what you want. That's what you died for. You died to create a family of servants that would look like you. People who would live not to be served, but to serve as you did, and that we would lay down our lives for the family as you did for us. I pray, God, that you would stir in our hearts, that you would stir in this church, and that you would move us faithfully around the table until we are all faithfully serving you with all of our hearts. This communion service, Lord, is dedicated to you. It is in your remembrance and for your glory that we do this. We offer it to you in your name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition of Cross Points. If you have any questions about what you just heard, please call our church office at 714-848-5511. If you're nearby next Sunday, we have two services. The first is at 9 a.m. and the second is at 10.30 a.m., both with the same Bible teaching. 
Visitors are always welcome at Cross Point, and we hope you'll choose to worship with us when you're near the Huntington Beach community. Thank you.